Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Collie Ennis, how are you? How are you, Kalakinsla? Welcome back to my beautiful shed full of animals. How are things? <laughs> <laughs> and we're back with... It's me, it's Rob Gandola, always an unwelcome visitor here in uh, Collie's shed. Um, Drinker yeah. of tea and talker of frogs. Yes, and coffee usually more yeah, than tea. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Lots I have to stop more coffee for you. You do? You're the only person who comes to this house who likes coffee. I like coffee. So, froggies, back to it. So the last time we were here, we were talking about exploding toads and we were talking about some of the nasties that are out there that are affecting frogs worldwide. What would you say is the biggest threat to the Irish populations of amphibians in general? Um, in Ireland, for sure, it's habitat modification, habitat change and loss of um, breeding and, well, just loss of habitat, full stop. So it's not just wetlands, it's got to be the associated habitat. So like your long grass, your hedgerows, your forest edges, um, you can't have one without the other because they, like our amphibians, they spend so much time on land that to just put back wetlands and not give them anything to not give them anywhere to live or feed for the rest of the year it's just you're asking for trouble it's just going to fail miserably so uh, yeah for sure the biggest threat is habitat loss however what we know from our own experiments from our own prattling around and years and years of advice and talking to people like no matter whether you're in the country or whether you're in the city is our amphibians are definitely resilient so little small changes in your own little garden and your neighbour's garden can have huge effects mm. and I think that's going to be our saviour here Irish people are great at doing a bit of graft and they're motivated to do so. And like we've been to sites, you've been invited to give talks at sites. Like I love our definition of talks is hands on. <laughs> get into that ditch and show all these kids here how you like what you do when you're yeah when we're you're, proactive when you're rather than yeah. reactive. And I like That's that cool. about our group. Yeah. 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 So we actually just so people know we yeah. we actually run the herpetological society of Ireland. Even I have trouble saying that word. Herpetological. Herpetological. Yeah. Herpetology. So yeah, <laughs> things that crawl. So yeah. Um, that's where herpes comes yeah, from. Yeah, herpes, yeah. That's, That's really right. Yeah, the itching, thing. crawling, skin, thing. Yeah. Latin and Greek, herpeton, herpeton I think. Yeah, yeah. that's very good. And, and what... Um, and, <laughs> Nerds! SDIs! <laughs> it's a funny thing, you know, when you ring up a school and you go, I'm from the herpes, I mean the herpetological society. Can I put a pond in there? But no, again, as Rob was saying, what we like to do is get in like my old school, for example, Drimland Castle invited us over um, to give some talks and I said, while I'm here... You have a nice big field out there. And I used to collect frog spawn there when I was a kid. And I know there's some there. So they invited me back. We got a small budget, put a pond in for them. And now it's a regular breeding site. It has been for the last four years now. So Mm. very cool to see small little changes like that Mm. can make major difference to local populations. And bring them right back from the brink. Mm. 
you know what worries me, though, is so many people keeping all sorts of reptiles in their homes. And I just worry about escapes and escapees. But also, I know that people illegally import animals. And like, how can we... We need to talk about the pet trade, I guess, don't we? Yeah, well, so for me... I have a foot in conservation mm. and I'm very much uh, a hobbyist mm. and I do keep pets. But being a conservationist, it's a big worry for me because I do see a lot of the Asian species of sallies and frogs coming in. And salamanders? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, salamanders. So, I mean, it, I do worry because mm. like, I don't want to see the smooth newt, for example, is particularly susceptible to the nasty chytrid virus or fungus and... I don't want to see that our native species mm. suffer. But I'd also don't want to be the guy who tells people what they should and shouldn't do. I think you have to be a responsible owner, pet owner. You have to be very uh, careful about what species you keep, where you get them from, make sure they're captive bred, make sure they're disease free. And it's easily done. It's very easily done. It's being a conscientious keeper and looking after the, your, your pets disposing of their water correctly, stuff like that. There's a big campaign going on at the moment over in, in mainland Europe, which is directly um, addressing this, isn't it? Yeah, the, the Bern Convention, which people will say, that's that's not an organisation, that's that's a, a, a framework and, and policy. Um, but the people behind the Bern Convention have are promoting this biosecurity awareness. Remind me what the chytrid fungus is. So this salamander chytrid fungus, the dendrobatidus salamandrovorans, which essentially means salamander eater, it's been traced back now to Asian salamanders and the pet trade coming into... like And, and the biggest outbreak was in the Netherlands. Essentially, they've lost nearly 97% of their fire salamander, wild fire salamander population. They, so are fire salamander also native to the Netherlands? Yeah, they're native to, to Europe. And there's loads of little subspecies, and, and a lot of them will be inv- elevated to, to full species now. So they've got this huge range kind of from, from continental France right away across into the Middle East and North Africa. So fire salamanders, are, they're very diverse, but they're also like very widespread. And what they think now is that because German, Germany and Holland have these huge pet shows, and a lot of these captive animals go in to sell, that people are buying the animals there, but they're not implementing their own personal biosecurity. So somehow this salamander eater fungus has gotten into the wild population of fire sallies. Mm. They've no resistance to it because it's of Asian origin, and it's essentially w- knocked them on the head. It's it's virtually wiped them out in, in the Netherlands. It's been huge, decimated. Wow. Yeah. The, the actual zoo spore, so the thing that actually infects the fire salamanders, it's almost impossible to destroy. Like you can heat it, you can cook it, you can like it's. We we were at a conference there two years ago where they were talking about how difficult it is to actually get rid of this. So it's virtually once it's in the soil and in wetlands in the wild, you can't get rid of it. Like it retains, it's a, it retains its presence yeah. in the soil for years afterwards, and it's just wow. sitting there. So even reintroductions don't work. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So wow. you're looking at an, an aliens kind of thing. Like the only way to be safe is nuke it from orbit type thing. Like it's it's impossible to get rid of. So this is nasty. And what the Bern Convention have come out and said. Look, we're not going to ever get rid of the pet trade, and no one should try it, right? So, like, freedom of will. If you want to have nice stuff and you can afford it and look after them, go for it. But you have to be bloody responsible, mm. and that means treating your water, treating your cage furnishings, watching your animals. You know, quarantine new animals when you bring them into a collection. Mm. And it's very simple stuff. Like nobody's asking you to chop off an arm. You know, yeah. it's keep stuff on paper towels put bleach in the water for 48 hours before you dispose of it you know very mm. simple things mm. that most keepers won't have any issue with mm. but it's when you have an unregulated trade which we have here is where you can walk into a shop and buy anything and depending on the shop if you're lucky and you go to a good shop you'll get good advice mm. 
but some of these places won't know what they're even selling. It's a name on a list. Mm. They'll know roughly where it's from. It's hard to understand because, I mean, you have to have a dog licence. You have to have your dog and your cat chipped. But you can have a crocodile in your bath. That's a whole other podcast we could talk. I mean, we might have you back to talk about that some other time. But, mm. I mean, it, it, look, we always say we're not the pet police, you know what I mean? We don't be doing that. But as conservationists, you do have to be trying to... And, I, you know, kind of had heated discussions with some of our friends who are big hobbyists who would who would be like, look, I'm entitled to keep whatever I want. That's, again, fine. But just be hyper-aware that you could be bringing in something into the country that is wiping out our own native stuff. And just because it's called the common frog or the mm. common newt, it doesn't mean that they're any less special than the thing you're keeping in your tank. Mm. They've evolved here. They're at the very edge of their range. They're really cool, interesting animals. And they deserve the chance to live out their existence in this country without us being dickheads about them, bringing in these, these nasty things that will kill them. See, that brings up an interesting point that I'm interested in which is I have a right to do whatever I want. I don't think you do. For people who want to keep animals and if they don't necessarily know how to keep them correctly, that's, for me, a ridiculous arrogance on the part of humans to take on these creatures and maybe not know how to give them the best life possible. So if you flip it and you say, well, the animal has the right to have the best life possible, but also the native animals have a right to keep on living Mm -hmm. and not be infected with other things. And for me, that brings in when it does need more regulation obviously if people want to do that start to think differently about it but also we need to know who's doing what it's a it's it's such a complex issue (coughs) there's so many layers to it but if you look around this shed Mm -hmm. every snake i have in here i didn't go out and buy they were all handed to me by people who got them i didn't want them then Mm. so you know if you're going out to buy a snake as you said why are you doing this if you're not prepared to give it the full happiest existence that you can? Mm-hmm. It's it's not a fashion accessory. Mm. But this is the kind of the attitude you have to deal with. Again, though, on the flip side of that, there's hundreds and probably thousands of people who keep exotic pets, mm-hmm. keep them well, mm-hmm. look after them and care for them. So I don't want to be hitting them mm. because of a few idiots mm. as well. So again, it's it's so complicated I think regulation is the key. Mm. We we've had this discussion, and maybe even even like a, a small small fee just to have a license to say, look, I own this and I have it here, mm. and make it may, to make somebody a little bit more responsible. But again, that's another podcast. Mm. You know, we're getting off the, the 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 amphibians, but you know, just to especially so say if you get a forest salamander in, if you have to have the paperwork with it, mm. uh, a, a license to say you have it, and then your top proper biosecurity what's the harm in that mm. how hard is that to do you know but also for you guys being educa- uh, educators and science communicators if you encourage people to think about life from the side of the animal like through the eyes of the animal rather than just I want this I'm going to have it if they start thinking about oh okay this animal has rights if, if we can get the next generation to start thinking differently about animals and how it's not just about us having animals in our lives it's about thinking about the lives of animals because they have a right to be here too and have a right to a proper life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I think I think especially with a getting back to our native amphibians, that's the big thing. Mm. To put people in, in in 
in the in the head of a frog or exactly. a new it, it's a weird exactly. thing to say but you're kind of saying even when we're getting back to like talking about people saying do you remember you used to collect frog spawn mm. and that oh yeah I do and yeah. right well you give them that little bit of magic to, oh I remember that when I was a, a boy or a girl doing that that was great and then you go right well they're in trouble and this is how you can help them yeah it's that just getting that association and, and, and you know bringing them around to thinking as a frog in a weird way <laughs> exactly I would like to think yeah. as a frog If we can attract an audience with the exotics, but give out advice on how to best manage for natives, then I think it's the a win-win. Mm. Getting into the other side of things with legislation, like where do you start? Oh, and and this is a massive argument. It's like, should they start with the shops? Irish pet shops don't have to have a license. You got the UK, all the shops have to be licensed. Mm. Why don't they have to be here? Mm. Because at least a shop isn't something that moves house or get like or doesn't do it frequently. A shop doesn't put things in a shoebox and take it home on a whim. You know, a shop is somewhere where you can send inspectors to do, like zoos, you know, license the shops first and then maybe drop it down onto to people who yeah. engage in, like, buying pets and the captive trade after that. You have to start somewhere and usually a top-down approach in that situation because it makes the shops be mm. responsible. And I, I prefer to go somewhere to get an animal if I knew uh, that I was going to get good advice and if I knew they were healthy. Yeah. And yeah. I'd be very, I'd be much happier as a pet owner. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like... Uh, this is how complex it is this is a really simple uh, thing that I was thinking about goldfish are exotic pets mm. finches mm. budgies mm. do you need a license for a goldfish how far do you go down the line you have to go do all the way down the line yeah but it's it's, 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 it's so complex yeah. though and it's such a cop out to say that but it's yeah. not it's the facts is it is a really complex issue mm. and like a goldfish is just as dangerous and invasive as, as a turtle or whatever you but know if, I mean? if you just inspect them as they're coming in if you have people the people are passing them on to the hobbyists if they're licensed and if they're following all the, the rules yeah. and making sure everyone's healthy and well cared for and giving proper information so that's half the battle mm-hmm. yeah exactly and I think when you look at it you know it's always going to come down to resources who's going to police it you know the dog license thing is very poorly enforced mm-hmm. we know that you know but there's very few wardens horses yeah. wandering horses Dublin well. mm-hmm. so if you make it like a top down, so mm. importers and shops first, you don't, you only need like a handful of inspectors. Two inspectors exactly. could probably do all of Dublin exactly. in a day. Yeah. You know? But so I mean if the UK can do it, if the Netherlands can do it, it means at some point we could do it. So it could be a long term thing where we, we have that aspiration and then yeah, it happens. Sure. That'd be cool. You know, it would be cool. But again, you know, it it it's one of those things that you, you would have to get the bottom and you have to have uh, the enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, on government level but let's be honest yeah. to get it done exactly. you know and that's that's an issue you know yeah. yourself because people don't want to take on workloads they're probably stressed out as it is because mm-hmm. they're undermanned and you know and then there's so many different departments do the Department of Agriculture take it on or do Parks and Wildlife mm-hmm. take it on who wants to, who wants mm-hmm. extra work in their already stressed work environment so you know it is it's one of those things hopefully it comes along mm. I think we do need it Rather than kicking the can down the road, it's better to be, again, proactive rather than reactive. We mm. don't want an outbreak in this country. Me and Rob don't want to be walking around looking at sites that there is a chytrid mm. or a ranavirus outbreak because that's going to be heartbreaking. But let's be honest, and we've been saying it for a while, it's coming. And mm. it's probably coming sooner than we think, you know. And then uh, uh, you're talking about that hitting already stressed populations. Mm. So, you know, it's not going to be pretty. Because I know, you know, anecdotally of 
the postal service picking up various animals like mm. uh, terrapins or customs. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. What? It was a spitting cobra. No way. In the, in the post office, in the central post office. Really? Post office. Posted? Yeah, posted, yeah. We know that there's venomous snakes being sent in the post. God. And anything else. So, like... It's such an issue. Like it's yeah. like you know, you're affecting all different levels yeah. of everything, from yeah. governmental agencies to to just private owners. Like and it's and a huge, and but and doing nothing, I think, is the worst we could do. Yeah. Yeah. Doing nothing yeah. is is worse than doing something as long as the something is proactive rather than reactive and nasty. Like an all right ban, because outright bans drive everything underground, and then you're never going to get a handle on exactly. it. Exactly, you have to work with yeah. what's for sure. Which you have is, to work with human psychology yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it, 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 you for sure, you tell people they can't keep anything. Of course. It's going to exactly. probably boom the trade, yeah. if anything. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, juggling. That's what it is. It's mm-hmm. getting everybody in on the same page and keeping everybody happy at the same time and hopefully coming to a sensible and, you know, a, a, again, proactive uh, conclusion to, to, to what we should do, you know. Say that again. So, yeah, just behind you here, Rob. You see me? You've just stood. Oh my God! You just stood up and opened a terrarium there, okay. and there's a tiny frog. What yeah. is that? That's a uh, white tree frog, and there's a male in the background. Oh no, yeah. female in the background. That's the male. Beautiful have you ever seen creature. a happier animal when it's sleeping? <laughs> it looks so content. They actually look like little kermits. What they're Australian they species, yeah. The whites, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're that from like they're the Latorias, yeah. So there's uh, there's foliage in there and it's sitting on a big leaf and it's just looking at us and about what two three centimeters yeah and so the I'm, one behind uh, is bigger the yeah the female's bigger than the male okay. so that's generally the case with frogs the 
apart from the pixie frogs they're the only ones off the top of my head I can think of where the, the sexual dimorphism is reversed yeah. but generally for most frogs the female's bigger because she has to carry all those eggs Okay. and the male just has to carry his little bit of right. you know what I mean saucy jizz. saucy jizz <laughs> so um, yeah um, they are so beautiful they're gorgeous they really are and when you knock off the lights so I have a a light system here so I give them a day and night cycle yeah. you knock off the lights give them a spray and then they're down munching on everything that moves so yeah Fantastic. really delighted with them how long have you had them? Um, I've had them about three weeks have you? yeah so yeah where'd you get them? Uh, my I walked past my local pet store and I was like you know what they are gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> and I don't do it very often but right. I, 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 I've always wanted some white tree frogs so yeah really happy with them White tree frogs. We have a tree frog at home, but I think it's a Mediterranean tree frog. Yeah, it looks like one of the European species. I couldn't quite place it, but yeah. I didn't really have a look at it for that long. because. And he came in on in somebody's uh, hand luggage. No, yeah. hand luggage. Okay. Or uh, cargo luggage, rather, on a plane. So he's picked up by customs and they, they passed it on, passed him on to us. But he's beautiful. In my living room, I have a big... Um, common toad but it's the bufospinosis so it's kind of a subspecies of a common toad but they get really it's a full species now see everything changes science is so dynamic but um, it's it's one of the bigger ones so the Europe the the English toads will be quite smallish but these ones get really chunky on the continent and that came in in some vegetables from Portugal Wow. So it's a tiny little toad about that size and now it's <laughs> nearly a dinner plate size. It's huge. Yeah, and on Thursday, I had to go to my local pet shop and pick up a tarantola, so a crocodile gecko, because it had just come in off a shipment from Spain with flowers. My God, what does that look like? So it's, I'll have to send you, it's amazing. It's like a miniature, if you can think of like your average gecko and yeah. then cover it with loads of cool kind of knobbly spiky bits. <laughs> so that's why they're called, the common name is a crocodile gecko. It's awesome. Yeah. They're really, really cool. Snoops. Like you, yeah, you get them, yeah, you get them all over Spain, Portugal, into Italy and stuff. Like they're really common. Um, and they're cool. Like, you, like I found them, like I used to teach on a field course in Spain and you find them under big boulders down in, in, you know, they have the, from the heavy rain wash kind of it's not really a ditch it's just to the side of the road so you have big rocks and then you flip them and these little guys being under it they're the ones you see running around in Spain up the walls at night time eating eating moths and mosquitoes yeah. and things but yeah it's amazing and came in a bunch of flowers wow. but it had been on a shipping container full of flowers yeah. as well so yeah. that'll show you how hardy even the Spanish stuff because Spain usually is seen as another part of Europe where it's mm. almost like the Florida of Europe it's so warm and tropical all year round Spain gets some cold weather as well yeah so, um, so yeah, wh- wh- while we're talking about these little critters that sneak into the country, what do you reckon about uh, invasive amphibians? I think Ireland, <laughs> based on what we've done, yeah, I think Irish pet owners are either exceptionally responsible, <laughs> or we've just, really? or we've <laughs> just been. I'd like to give people the benefit of the doubt before I tear them, um, or we've been just extremely lucky because we've been doing these surveys with the council since two thousand and. 13, 14. 14. Surveying. Surveying the populations of amphibians, usually frogs, in a lot of Dublin City Council managed parks. parks. And the first thing we said was, this is going to be nuts. We're going to find all sorts of crazy shit in parks that have been ditched. And we haven't found any really. And like, there's the odd turtle or two, but that's a, that's a, a, a European phenomenon, people abandoning mm-hmm. pets and ponds. Um, but I was expecting we'd have a similar situation to the UK where we'd been pulling, we'd be pulling alpine newts out of out of almost every pond near the city because like there's more people here like in the rural, more, more rural areas and stuff um, you maybe not expect it so much but now we've they've been pretty clean like we've yeah. we've, we've we had to do go and do um, 
a quick rapid assessment of, of a toad population four years ago up in Donegal and they seem to be quite happy to be where they are and not move too much but then that's based on the surrounding habitats and they're, they're, they're not native no Common toad, not native to Ireland, mm-hmm. but all over the UK and the islands as well. Like so, they're on Rome and think and some of them. I'm not sure if they made it to the Shetlands. They may have, but they're not native to Ireland anyway. Yeah. And they're they're they seem to be happy, but the habitat around them to let them disperse is quite hostile. There's a lot of roads as well. We there have. was alpine newts in Galway, yeah, but that was near a garden centre, so they probably escaped because like a lot of the garden centres would get newts in with aquatic plants, and Parks and Wildlife dealt with them. I think around 2014. Now. I don't know if there's been any repeats. There probably should be, because saying you took four out, I've been to the pond and I've seen it, and saying you only got four animals out of it is probably yeah, a massive underestimation. And, and they found so some, yeah, and they found efts yeah. as well, which is a sign that they were breeding. They found what? Efts, efts are their like tadpoles. Their larvae just before they're about to come out of water, so they have all their limbs. They're not just a head with gills looking awesome. But other than that, like we get reports, like we have slow worms, obviously, which mm-hmm. are non-native, but they were. Probably. I don't know where all this probably introduced by hippies thing came from. <laughs> like, there's no evidence to suggest it was hippies. They were first seen in the early 70s. Mm. But in the rec- burn, was it? Yeah, in the burn. But there's records of them from Sligo, Mayo. We've been mm. sent pictures. We've been sent Kerry. Um, anecdotal evidence from Wicklow. There's a report of them in Ballyshannon, up mm. near the border with Donegal, uh, on Loch Erne from the 1800s or maybe the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So... But they were being kept as pets back then, and they were being kept as pets right up until the early 90s here. So, you know, this new age hippie thing kind of confuses mm-hmm. me. But other than that... What does a slow worm look like? A slow worm's an amazing beast. It, everybody thinks it's a snake, but it's actually a legless lizard. And people are like, isn't a legless lizard a snake? And it's not. It has eyelids. They blink. Yeah. They have. They don't have a forked tongue. They have a bilobed tongue. So it is... What's like, bilobed? So it has... It's not as forked as a forked tongue. It's it's more like two roundy bits at the end. If you ever seen that guy who wants to be a snake with all the tattoos on him, where he's yeah. he's had yeah. his tongue surgically cut oh. in half, yeah. it's a bit like that. Mm. Um, cool thing about slowworms as well is that they look they're very shiny in appearance, but their body they're very much like cylindrical tubes as you'd expect a snake would be. But if you watch a snake, you can see it breathe in and out. With a slowworm, they've got osteoderms like crocodiles, like bony plates under their skin, so that gets them to hold. Their, their shape so they're nearly always tubular but that's why it's, it's very bad to, to grab them and squeeze them but they can drop their tail oh. so they, they practice autotomy like other lizards which, how do you know which is the tail and which is the body because normally slowers have this great habit of shitting all over you when you catch them <laughs> yes. so they, 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 they eat a lot of, yeah, they, they eat a lot of slugs and ah. snails so it comes out as this thick sticky liquid and it's all over you and then if you squeeze more or whatever they're really panicky they drop the tail yeah. and the tail wiggles and the head is usually the one that's but you can see it because they've got these lovely big eyes oh, right. and like some of the males and even the females it can be absolutely gorgeous it's like a grey pale grey animal with these beautiful blue spots on it the females generally and there's some that don't have this lovely kind of a chocolate brown stripe down the back and when they're small they'd have chocolate brown flanks and the babies are a golden yellow colour with that chocolate brown stripe and fantastic beasts and mm. they seem to be happy in the burn how big are they? Um, maybe they and again they, they can maybe. no they like can get adults. bigger. The record I think is about forty three centimeters. Mm-hmm. So what's that in old terms? It's about fourteen inches. Mm-hmm. So they can be big, mm-hmm. and the bigger males, particularly because males are bigger because they have these big heads because they're not very nice with the females in the breeding season. They're a bit rough. They're not kind yeah. of considerate lovers. They grab them <laughs> by the back of the head, and then because there's no limbs to hang on, they they bite them, mm-hmm. um, and then they they mate with them as well. But the males can look very kind of 
it's like a sausage really like they can look very disproportionate because all their junk their sexual reproductive organs are in the tail and the base of the okay. tail so they could, that kind of is the skinny bit mm. and then they kind of get fatter as they head yeah. towards mm. the tail so it's it's yeah they're unusual looking beasts but they are fantastic and like they're probably the most widely distributed maybe the most common reptile in the UK because they love gardens because people leave crap all over the place and they like to be able to like it's easier to get in under something that's sheltered than have to burrow down so they they tend to do very well around gardens and with people as well and compost heaps in particular and mm. um, yeah so they're great beasts hanging out in, in um, the west of Ireland very difficult to find mm. very very tough but then the burren itself is such a hostile amazing place that's probably the topic of another podcast because yeah, we're going way go, off yeah, there yeah. but I mean yeah. no it, again with the introduction species or the the, the rumours that we've, we've heard we've heard some funky rumours of all sorts of creatures like toads in the Dublin mountains and all these kind of things so we're expecting to come across stuff particularly like Robert was saying earlier on in the early 90s people were keeping great crested newts and alpine newts and all these animals in their ponds mm. in back gardens mm. so Lord knows what's out there in private uh, private areas and as animals tend to do they wander off and we'll, we'll probably start seeing more of these uh, interesting creatures. Now, what happens to them when they're found is a conversation we've had over many a night. So mm. it's like, what's ethically mm. the right thing to do if they're there for 20, 30 years? Do you nuke them from space or do you just leave them be? Do we test them for disease? If they have no disease, should we just mm. leave them alone, let them get on with it? You know, it's one of those, uh, it's going to be a hard call regardless. Yeah, I think it's, and it's going to become more complex as people move towards this ecosystem services agenda. And so ecosystem services essentially means in a very, very blunt way, and your boss in Trinity is going to hate me for saying Mm -hmm. this, is what animals do to keep the system healthy. So if we're losing some of our own animals, but there's been releases of other animals that do a similar or the same job, shouldn't we not leave them there to keep those processes going? Because it needs to be done by something, and having something doing it is better than having nothing do it. And particularly, like, so say we were having this discussion, remember we were saying, what if, what if somebody had released forest salamanders in Ireland 20 years ago, and there's a small population living in a forested area with one breeding pond? Now, say on the mainland Europe, they get completely wiped out, but they're in Ireland. What do you do? Do you protect that species because they're nearly extinct in the wild? Mm. Or do you go in and say, right, we're going to have to get rid of all these because they're non-native. Mm. So again, it's yeah. it's such a... Um, and at what point is a species considered, an invasive species considered native? You know, how long does yeah. it have to be here? Yeah. Because I think there's some animals that are here. But that's naturalised, right? So it's the same with red deer. Everything would have had to have colonised Ireland at some point in the last 10,000 years. So are hyenas native? Because they were here before the ice. Mm. Um, bears. What about bears? Mm. Wild you know, boar. Yeah. You know. So, so it, this this then becomes it's an almost an, an ecumenical um, <laughs> discussion. <laughs> you know, it's it's not even philo- philosophical anymore. Yeah. You know, um, so I think things will change as they always do. And I think the first thing that should be done is if you come across an invasive species, rather than mammals, tend to be bad because mammals like they can move around, they can reproduce highly. Herps tend to be a little bit easier because you can watch them for a couple of years and you can see like oh, these are naturally going to die out because it's always for to establish a population you're looking at the rule of hundreds for herbs like you need hundreds of viable animals to keep your your population going otherwise they'll just slowly decline and die off yep. so I think a lot of it is rather than massive expensive reaction of let's get in get them out and kill them all you do have time where you can go and watch them for a bit 
And then if you're really worried, you just take out the adults. You don't even need to kill the juveniles. Mm. You take out the adults. Mm. And then you just keep, and then you just monitor the site where they breed, and then you just take, keep taking away the adults. And while you just can truncate the population where you just get loads of young adults, you can just keep putting away. It's much more cost effective to do it that way. So, Rob, I have a question for you. Yes, you're in the critter shed with Collie and myself, and I wonder at some point, would you take the critter shed with you later on in the future? Absolutely. Yeah, so we'll go out and we'll get mucky. If you want to come over to the critter shed, to my critter shed slash yeah. office, it's not really a critter <laughs> shed. Yeah. My partner, Kat, she keeps loads of mantises. Oh. That's her thing. And wow. we've got a big ground boa. See, because I'm a keeper as well. So. Yeah. We've got millipedes and we've got these big silk moth caterpillars that are eating us out of house and home at the moment. Yeah, so... Well, that sounds brilliant. Thanks so much for coming in, Rob. It was brilliant. Very welcome. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.